millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Everybody in the Pool, the podcast for the climate economy. We dive deep into the climate crisis and come up with solutions. I'm Molly Wood. This week, we're talking about the transition to electric cars. Hold it. As much as I am car obsessed, as my longtime listeners will know, this is not about me or you or your friend down the street looking for a new EV. That is some one at a time rinky dink business. Ain't nobody got time for that. Although see me after class because I would still be happy to talk EVs with you if you're in the market. But today I want to talk about fleets. Taxi cabs, company cars, delivery vehicles, government cars. What does it take to get those to stop burning fossil fuels and be all electric instead? And that's what today's guest is working on. My name is Josh Green. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Inspiration Mobility. We are the world's first electrification accelerator. And what that means in practice is we have set up a platform to help companies and organizations decarbonize corporate transportation by adopting electric vehicles. And we provide financing and charging and other solutions to streamline that process for them and allow them to go electric as quickly as possible. So give us a sense, I think, at first, who these companies are. I think people don't necessarily realize how many cars out there, how many companies out there are managing fleets of some sort. Yeah. So let me start by saying transportation, ground transportation in the United States accounts for approximately 30% of our overall national greenhouse gas emissions. And so it's a very large opportunity. And of those emissions, a significant percentage, majority of them come from commercial fleet vehicles. And you can't really find perfect estimates for how many vehicles there are in commercial fleets. If you think about fleets being everything from last mile delivery, to corporate fleets, which may be pharmaceutical companies, IT support companies, telecom companies, to taxi fleets, to rideshare vehicles. But when you, when you take it all together, estimates are that's four to five million vehicles in the United States. The reason really I started Inspiration and, and I started looking into it in, in 2020 was that the technology, battery technology and electric vehicle technology had really arrived at that point and continues to every year get better in terms of the operating costs of an EV being superior and cheaper than an ICE vehicle, internal combustion engine vehicle. Mm -hmm. And these vehicles are, are now purpose-built. They will satisfy the demands of the operator in terms of range, in terms of being able to carry payload. And so that combination of factors led me to, to start the company because what I saw was, despite all those factors being true, the decision makers in most of these companies would need to have a complete separate set of skills and capabilities than they do have mm -hmm. to adopt electric vehicles in mass. And so what that means is there's a role in most companies or in many companies, I should say, that have significant transportation assets 
there's a role called the fleet manager. And that person does exactly what, what, what you might expect. They are responsible for figuring out the transportation needs of the company, procuring the right vehicles, and whether they purchase them or they lease them or they get a loan, you know, all those are on the table depending on the company. And they then work with the drivers who may be somebody that's a sales rep who takes the vehicle home at night, or it may be a service business that has uh, electricians or, or cable installers that are leaving the vehicle each night at a depot and come back, pick it up, go about their daily work. In every case, that fleet manager is responsible for, I'd say three things really at the end of the day, enabling the employees to do their jobs safely and at the lowest possible cost. And so when it comes to that job, they have developed, you know, sophisticated systems and deep knowledge. Many fleet managers have been fleet managers in the industry for many, many years, if not decades. And they've developed pattern recognition and, and skill sets that are all kind of accustomed to an, an ICE vehicle, where you buy a vehicle, you throw the keys to the driver, and and, and fueling it is somebody else's problem. It, it, it's just, and, and frankly, it's not a problem because everybody knows how to pull into a gas station. When you talk about adopting electric vehicles, there's a whole new set of challenges to face and a whole new set of expertise needed to understand, okay, uh, which vehicle can satisfy this particular job in terms of the range and really climate adjusted range where, you know, in, in the location in which it's going to be used. I should have you clarify there, meaning if you have a bunch of a fleet of EVs in cold weather, for example, your range is going to be reduced and you sort of have to plan for that. Or in hot weather, exactly. Or in hot weather. Yeah. To, yep. to clarify, like, in fact, we, we because we now have a lot of data on a lot of EVs, we found that certain EVs, their energy usage is actually much higher in summer, in certain parts of the East Coast, humid summer because of the air conditioning load, mm. than in in winter. And so the the, the range degradation in again certain EVs in certain locations is higher in in summer. Huh. And so what I meant by climate adjusted range is exactly that. A, a, a given vehicle going the same mileage will perform differently in Minneapolis than it will in Austin, Texas. Right. Got it. And so part of the special sauce is figuring out which vehicle and which location. But then they've got to know, in addition to that, they've got to figure out where am I going to charge this? How often does it need to be charged? And what's that going to cost me? And relying on public charging for a commercial fleet is usually the, the, the option of last resort. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's really not what they want to do because it's, you know, tends to be unreliable. You don't know if a charger is going to be available when you get there. Prices are high, much higher than they would be in, in, if you kind of set up your own charging. So you're asking a fleet manager to suddenly become an energy expert. Right. And I think that's a tall order. And, and, and so what I realized back in 2020 when I started looking at this was that to successfully electrify commercial transportation at scale requires this integration of disciplines and expertise from fleet management to vehicle finance to energy markets and project development and project construction. And those things don't normally sit under one roof, nor do those people, frankly, normally even communicate. Right? I mean, totally. they're, they're, just, they're different silos. And then on top of that, you have to be up on a lot of brand new car brands, for example, you know, new types of vehicles that didn't even exist before. I mean, I, I don't have a fleet and I'm already kind of daunted. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. No, and you're not alone. This is, this is exactly 
the issue because, you know, the traditional automotive sector is always evolving, of course, but it evolves slowly, right? People, the, the, the new Camry is not that much different than the old Camry. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about electric vehicles, the rate of change right now and the pace of innovation and the pace of introduction of new models and new, frankly, new automakers, not to mention charging hardware makers, charging management software makers, it is a constantly evolving landscape and, and it's changing very quickly. And so to ask any non-expert to get up to speed and then stay up to speed on an ongoing basis on all of the different changes and know which vehicle, which charger, which incentive, you know, and the incentive landscape is changing quickly. Right. Applies best to a given application. That, that's a tall order. And so we set out to build that team of experts from each part of it. And so I, I, I like to call us the motley crew of fleet electrification. You know, we, we, we are a strange mix of people like myself that come out of clean energy and, and project development and infrastructure. Uh, combined with people that come out of fleet management, vehicle finance and vehicle leasing, car rental and asset management. It is a it is a strange mix, but you need all those ingredients in the stew to successfully electrify commercial fleets at scale. Right. And so it sounds like at its core, what you provide is is kind of effectively a consulting product. It's a roadmap. Well, so that's interesting that you say that. And, and I think in, in some ways, maybe how we describe ourselves uh, leads to that impression. We are certainly consulting in some ways and advising our customers and potential customers all the time to help them better chart their path to our goal, which is 100% electrification. Right. But no, we are not a consulting firm. We're actually an asset owner and a provider of a turnkey solution, we're, we're the implementer. Ah, okay. What that means is we go to business really with two different business lines. One is what is called a fleet management company. And frankly, we're a different type of fleet management company. We're, we're the world's first EV only fleet management company. And we call that an EFMC as opposed to an FMC, which is the FMC is the, the acronym for fleet management companies that has been used for a long time. Mm-hmm. And in that business, what we do is we work with those fleet managers. And, and in some cases, in smaller companies, it might really be with the COO or the CEO to identify the right vehicle, procure the right vehicle, lease them. So we purchase and own the electric vehicle and lease it to the companies. And then we provide a whole raft of fleet management solutions around those vehicles to simplify their deployment. And and that's everything from things that are new to the FMC industry, so charging solutions to make sure that they can be fueled reliably, safely, quickly, as well as what one would think of as traditional fleet management solutions. So things like managed maintenance on those vehicles, tolls and violations, tracking, title and registration, you know, more traditional fleet services. Mm -hmm. So that's one business. And then we have a second business that that actually will build, own, and operate high-speed charging infrastructure. Oh, okay. That serves either, you know, a single fleet, or in most cases, it serves multiple fleets that need a high-speed charging solution to satisfy their operational needs. Gotcha. So this is a good opportunity to clarify even further that even if you were just buying regular old ice vehicles, gas-powered cars like you always had, it would still it is still complicated enough that 
companies don't do this in-house. They, they, for the most part, I, or exclusively, they, they work with these fleet management companies to get these cars. So you were like, we can come in and replace that company with a better one. Yeah. I mean, for some subset of the fleets, yeah. So, so, so perhaps it would be helpful for me to segment the market a little bit. Mm-hmm. We work with companies as diverse as Fortune 500 companies where the vehicle is another tool for the employee, but it's not the core service or product. So think again of your cable company, your telecom company, uh, a last mile delivery company, right? They, they have a core product, which is internet service, for example. The van in that case is nothing different to their company than the computers they hand to their employees or the cell phones. It's a, it's a tool for the employee to conduct their job. Mm-hmm. And in that case, for most of those companies, yes, it is, it is today they will work with a fleet management company, not, not all of them, but most of them, because there's no reason for them to own and manage those vehicles. They, they, they have somebody else do that, just like they lease their copiers and they lease their computers and they lease everything else. Then there are companies like taxi companies and some freight and logistics companies where the core product is transportation. And in that case, Traditionally, they have not worked worked with a fleet management company. They might work with a bank to finance those vehicles, but the actual servicing of the vehicles and the management of the vehicles has been done by them because actually they, you know, that is their core business. Gotcha. And now, even for those companies, I will say that when it comes to electric vehicles, many of those companies that traditionally might have owned and serviced their vehicles because they don't necessarily know or want to today take on that burden and and perceived risk, they'll ask us to come in and lease them those vehicles and manage the fleet with managed services. So in that case, they are actually changing their behavior Mm -hmm. because EVs are new and because, you know, electrification and, and electrification infrastructure is something they don't necessarily want to kind of own themselves. Time for a quick break. When we come back, why Josh, who is a longtime clean energy guy, determined that this was the most impactful climate solution he wanted to work on, and the dirty little secret about why it's not happening in other fleet management companies. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool. We're talking with Josh Green, CEO of Inspiration Mobility, about replacing thousands of cars on the road with EVs all at once. I want to ask you 10 to 1,000 more questions about cars. But first, I want to go back to the the origin story. You mentioned that you came from clean energy and kind of got interested in this. Give me give me a little more about your background and, you know, what was the moment that, because that this could be seen as a bit of a departure. What was the moment that said, this is really the opportunity for you? 
Yeah, well, actually, I, I would say it's it's uh, not so much a departure, but an evolution. Um, in in that, I have uh, been in the clean energy and, and climate industry since 2000, so going on on 25 years. And in that time, I have been an investor in both energy projects. So think about wind farms and solar, both utility scale and what's known as CNI, commercial industrial solar. So on building rooftops, I've been a venture capitalist in technology companies that are that were attacking climate change. And I've also been a venture backed entrepreneur before. And I have the pattern recognition from seeing both wind that I started working with in the mid 90s and solar that I started working with in kind of the the, the early knots, so like 2007, 8, 9, go from kind of geeky environmental science project to cheapest forms of energy in the world, right? These things be, went mainstream over, in some cases, decades. But now, like, those are the two most deployed and cheapest forms of energy in, in, in the entire world. I looked around, I kind of surveyed the landscape, and... Electrification of transportation felt to me like the next big thing. And, and, and what I mean by that is that, one, I was looking for a segment, an opportunity where we could drive large emission reductions very quickly. So as, as we say in the climate world, where, where we could actually dr drive a climate wedge quickly. Mm -hmm. and, and two, where... There was no need for government subsidy. Like the, the technology was mature enough. The product was ready and commercially available. And the economics stood on their own. Like there was a, it was, it, the, the conversion was, was inevitable at the end of the day because you simply had a better product. Right. And the more I looked around, the more I saw that electrification of transportation was, was at that tipping point. I saw that businesses... If they took the time to run the numbers and do the do the assessments on operating sufficiency, would quickly see that electric vehicles were superior at that time in most light duty use cases, and, and it's, it's expanding now into medium duty and heavy duty. But that that the barrier to adoption then became which vehicle, which charger, how do I charge them, where do I charge them, how much is it going to cost for me to charge them, and it was that insight into wow, you know. If left to their own devices, that will take a decade for people to kind of put together. They're going to need to hire new people. They're going to have to retrain people. Or we can provide an integrated solution that solves all those pieces for them and gives them as much or as little, frankly, of that as they need. Right. And then to your earlier point, it's a one-to-many solution instead of like trying to enable consumers one at a time to replace cars. It's like, hey, let's get mm, 20 to 1,000 cars switched. All at once. Yeah. That's right. Some of these commercial fleets, I mean, we work with today, we work with commercial fleets that range in size. Are probably the smallest fleet we work with has a few hundred vehicles, and the largest has 50,000 on road vehicles in the US. Wow. Yeah. So you can make change happen pretty quickly. Uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's, it's not easy, but like you're saying, it's, it's a one to many approach. Right. Why aren't existing fleet management companies? doing this for the businesses who have done the math and realize this is a better solution? Like, what is your risk of competition? Our customers have a range of alternatives, but, but certainly for the ones that work with fleet management companies, our, yeah, I, I, what we need to do is convince them that if they're serious about going electric, their existing 
FMC is probably the wrong choice. And that's because fleet management companies, first off, I'll say that fleet management companies are not a well-known industry to, to most, probably most of your listeners. Mm-hmm. It, it is a, an industry that's very large and performs very well economically and has great returns, but it is, I would say, not mainstream. But what you see pretty quickly when you start looking into fleet management companies is that these are massive entities that have been around for decades, uh, in some cases uh, going on a century. But most importantly, from an electrification perspective, the fleet management companies too have been built up and their business models optimized around the ICE vehicle, the Mm -hmm. internal combustion engine. So everything from how they finance those vehicles to how they dispose of those vehicles to the services they provide around those vehicles, and frankly, their revenue models, how they make money, has been built around the internal combustion engine. So when you look at the numbers and you understand how those fleet management companies have built to be profitable and deliver results to investors, 50 to 60% of their revenues in, in the vast majority of cases come from the provision of services beyond the actual lease of the vehicle. And most of those services are tied to the internal combustion engine. So think about oil changes, think about fuel refilling like gas and diesel, think about spark plugs, think about all the things that the internal combustion engine requires to fulfill its duties for 100,000 miles, 200,000 miles. These businesses have been built up to, to earn money on every oil change. Right. It's sort of like how car dealers, you know, everybody thinks car dealers make money on cars, but they make money on maintenance on on those because you, for people who don't have an EV, if you're listening out there, I don't think you understand. Like you don't take that in for maintenance. There is nothing to break. It's a battery on wheels. Literally. It's, it, it is amazing. I've, I've now driven an EV for two years and it, it's amazing to me that I've never, you know, I, I just whizzed by the gas station. I've never yeah. gone to a gas station. I've never had to take it in once. Uh, most updates occur over the air. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think the, the dirty little secret is that traditional FMCs have a disincentive all the way down to the salesperson usually to promote and and deliver an EV to a customer as opposed to another ICE vehicle. Right, because there's no service contract attached to it. Yeah, there's less. There's certainly less services and you know, the salesperson most likely in these big organizations has never driven an EV, or if they have, you know, it's, it's, it's been once, but they aren't experts in the EVs. They certainly aren't experts in electrification and the energy side of it. And so it's not that they aren't serving customers with electric vehicles. They are. And certainly if you go to their websites or hear them talk, they talk a great game about everything they do with electric vehicles. And I think if the customer demands an electric vehicle, they will serve up an electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. But for those companies and organizations that actually want to make significant progress on electrification and realize that electric transportation is cheaper, safer, more reliable, better driver experience, we like to say those, your traditional FMC will do what it needs to to keep the customer, but it will go as slowly as it can. Whereas we are from day one pushing to try and say, how do we get to 100% electrification as quickly as possible? Right. And so it's just a very different starting point and, and approach. Now, I know you're not planning to make 40 or 50% less money than they are. So, <laughs> so how, how do you make up the difference uh, in all those oil changes and gas fill-ups? 
Yeah, no, that, well, that's a really good question. And I'm sure some of my competitors would love to know that answer down to a very detailed level. But uh-huh. so, so I'm, I'm not. <laughs> that's give not you, what uh, we're here for. <laughs> the exact, the exact <laughs> specifics. But but let me just say that I am confident in saying that we make more margin and profit on our vehicle leasing side than they do. I'm confident in saying that there's a whole host of other EV specific services that we can and do charge for Mm -hmm. that I think many of which I think are, uh, you know, legacy FMCs haven't yet even thought about, but are of relevance to and importance to the fleet manager. I would also say what we do on charging, we have a whole, uh, whole set of charging solutions that I've never, to be honest, I've never compared what we can make on a charging solution versus a fuel card or, a, or an oil change because uh, uh, we've never done any of those. <laughs> but, but I can say that we have many other ways to help the customer, including some that aren't frankly related directly to the vehicle uh, in terms of how they can decarbonize their transportation and operations and chief financial savings. And, you know, our, our economic model uh, has very positive results. Mm-hmm. I do. And I want to ask you about the charging infrastructure side of the business. How, how hard is that? I mean, we keep, you know, the rollout of charging infrastructure nationally has already been, I think, slower than most people want. How challenging is that kind of side of the house? Yeah, it's interesting. I've given a few speeches about this recently at at conferences. At the risk of being controversial, I will say that for the average fleet in the United States, and certainly for the larger, more diverse fleets, Mm -hmm. this notion of charging being the limiting factor and making electrification impossible is frankly a bit of a red herring. Mm -hmm. I think that in the press and in mainstream discussions, a lot of people focus on the lack of public charging infrastructure in the United States as, as a limiter to, to EV adoption. Right. And I do not dispute that at all. And that's, uh, that I think for, for consumers, that's a huge factor and we need more charging infrastructure in this country. But what I would say is that at the commercial level, most fleets have many vehicles that could be electrified today quite easily based on the charging, the best charging solution for those vehicles. And in fact, we, we call this phenomena, we've kind of coined a, a phrase for this phenomena, we call it the electrification action gap. Because, mm-hmm. because, and here's what that means, Molly. Most fleets, when you look at them, let's start with corporate fleets, the, the large corporate fleets. Many of them have sustainability goals. In fact, you know, 75% of the 200 largest U.S. fleet operators have actually committed to decarbonization targets for their fleets. Mm-hmm. They've made commitments and when you talk to them and, and about where they are in, in meeting those commitments, most of them have done a few EV pilots. Maybe they've got 100 or 50 EVs in their fleet, but that's out of a fleet of 2,500 or 10,000 vehicles. And, and we say to them, well, why, why aren't more of them electric? And, and they say, well, you know, charging's complex, or we couldn't get our hands on the vehicle, or we can justify it financially. And so we say, all right, let us come in there and if you'll give us the data, we will for free perform what we call an EV opportunity assessment. Mm -hmm. And we will look at every single vehicle on a case by case basis, where it lives, what's its duty cycle on a daily basis, you know, what is the range required and decide 
with data, which vehicles could be electric today. And that's really based on a few different factors. One, there's an available EV substitute that's fit for purpose, meets the range requirements, and, and you can get your hands on. Two, that the charging is easy to set up. So charging can be really complex and, and take years to set up in certain cases. So this screens out for that and says, which charging can be set up in a month, in two gotcha. months? Mm-hmm. And where do the economics pencil? So so let's let's run the economics and say, when you look at this higher upfront cost potentially, but the incentives available, the fuel and maintenance savings, which usually run 50 to 60% compared to a nice vehicle. When you look at all those factors, which vehicles in your fleet should be electric today? and which are. And that is the electrification action gap. And almost universally, we see a huge number of vehicles that are just sitting there. And that company or organization is literally losing money every single day. They're driving an ICE vehicle on that route. Wow. And so that is what we do when we say charging is a limiter. And I'll come back to my charging is a bit of red herring. Charging is a limiter in certain cases. There are heavier duty vehicles. There are certain longer mileage applications. There are depots where it's a leased property and the landlord won't let you install charging. There are depots where there's not enough power on the utility grid in that that location to allow you to install charging. There's all sorts of barriers. Right. But the point is there are also easy wins that companies are usually not taking. And... Our role is to come in, identify the easy wins, electrify those vehicles that are ready and in the money today, and start planning for taking those steps so that you are gradually installing the charging infrastructure or exploring offsite options that get you to, okay, well, this batch of vehicles will be electrified you know, in a year. We're going to wait. Or it may be vehicle related. It may be, oh, there's you know, the right heavy duty or medium duty vehicle for this application with the right mix of cost and range is coming out in late 24. Okay, well, we'll wait on that. Mm-hmm. But it is a vehicle by vehicle, location by location assessment, which then delivers what we call our road to 100, a fleet electrification plan that starts with where you are today and gets you to 100% electrification over time. And I just think this focus on charging sometimes allows people to wait for the silver bullet. It's like, mm-hmm. let me wait for charging to be solved and then I'll electrify. Right. And uh, we like to say, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Start with where what can be electric today. Start achieving those savings and delighting drivers and, and let us plan for the future. Josh Green is the CEO of Inspiration Mobility. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you, Molly. Really enjoyed speaking with you. And that's it for this episode of Everybody in the Pool. Yet another reminder that so often the biggest barrier to doing things differently is just the way we've always done things. Fleet management companies aren't evil for wanting to continue to make money charging for service contracts on gas-powered cars. It's how they built their businesses when that's all we had. But now we have something else that's better. And making impactful climate change is all about embracing the change. Thank you so much for listening. Email me your thoughts and suggestions to in at everybodyinthepool.com and find all the latest episodes and more at everybodyinthepool.com, the website. And if you would like to become a subscriber and get an ad-free version of the show, hit the link in the description in your podcast app of choice. Thanks to those of you who already have. See you next week.